Hey guys, Podbean, Telestream for ScreenFlow. Check them out. They're in the show notes. Hey everyone, this is Vernon Ross, and welcome to the Social Strategy Podcast, bringing you the best in online business, social media, and good old-fashioned networking. And you know, I hate A-B split testing. I think everybody does. Um, It sounds good. You know, you want to come up with these multiple ways to test the marketing stuff that you're doing, or sometimes it's just a post, and you want to make sure that the headline is going to appeal to the audience that you're trying to get to. Well, when you start talking about marketing and the psychology of marketing and sales and the whole thing of why we do what we do outside of the passion part, but actually having to get people to move in a certain way and experience things you want them to experience, it can become really confusing for marketers, especially if you're not just a marketer, if you're an author or a podcaster like I am, or, you know, you just are coach and you're trying to figure out what to do. My next guest, Chris Daly, is an expert at that. He's been in digital marketing for a while. Started a company in 2014. It's called Conversion Optimization Agency, and, or his Conversion Optimization Agency. Uh, we'll talk about disruptive advertising, which is the actual name of his company in a little bit. But um, he's been burning up the scene with SEO and user experience stuff and teaching people how to optimize in A-B split testing and the psychology of marketing and everything else that goes into having a, a really awesome user experience. And this guy is like the real deal. So, Chris, welcome to the show. Vernon, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. No, no worries, man. So, I hate A-B split testing. Why Why do I hate A-B split testing so much? Oh, you know, there's, I, I don't know why you personally hate it, but there's a <laughs> lot, of, there's a lot of reasons why a lot of people hate A-B testing. Um, and, and I'll, I'll maybe make a clarification. People like A-B testing. They just don't like actually doing it. Right. They like, like the, the idea of it. Yeah. yeah. They like the idea of it and they like the results of it. Um, and so, I mean, I hear this every day. I have people, you know, that'll come to me and say, Hey, I tried A-B testing. It didn't work. Or, Hey, I've been doing A-B testing for a little while. I can't figure out what to do next. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I think there's a few major things that really hang people up. Number one is just the time it takes to sit down and come up with some good ideas to test. Um, you know, especially like you mentioned, if you're producing content or um, you know you're a podcaster, that kind of thing. If if you know if you're on the go and on the move constantly, it does take a few extra minutes to sit down and come up with a test. You know, to not just publish your content. If you want to split test a headline, you want to split test uh, the actual article itself. I mean, that takes some serious time to sit down and put together. And so I think that people don't like the time investment. I think uh, when you don't see results, you run a test and and you don't find a winner, um, you know, or what you already had was better. That's really frustrating. You feel like you invested a lot of time into putting something together and it didn't work out. And that, I think, can be really frustrating to people. Um, and so I think those are a couple of big things that really hang people up and, you know, and what I really help people do is figure out how to break through those barriers and how to really find success and success that you can be motivated by and regularly want to schedule time for. Uh, that's, that's kind of what I do. Yeah. Uh, you pretty much nailed it with me. With me, it's mostly one of those things where I know this is going to take a couple of hours if I do it right. And I sit down, 
if I do what I think is right and I still may not get the result that I want from it. So to put that creative energy towards doing that type of stuff, it can be frustrating, um, especially when you, you know, you put together three ads and you think that it's enough if you're running an ad or three different headlines and none of them seem to get traction if, you know, <laughs> plugging it into whatever you're doing. So how do you get traction with, with A-B split testing? Well, one of the first things, and I think this is one of the most important parts of, of testing, is having a real strategic direction that you're going. So each test that you that you run should have a question behind it. Um, so, you know, the first thing that, that usually happens when I sit down with people and I start teaching them A-B testing, mm -hmm. people immediately want to come up with test ideas. They go, oh, we should test this. Oh, we could do this. We, do, we should do this. And, and, I mean, every single time, every time that happens. And the first thing that I ask people to do is, okay, take a step back. Those may be great test ideas and maybe they'll work. But first, let's try to ask a question about our audience. Let's try to learn something about people here because that's really the idea of testing is you're learning about people. You're learning what makes them respond. You're learning what kinds of things they don't like. Um, and, and so if you have a business question that's driving your test, then you can't fail because you're going to get an answer to that question no matter what. And so if you're sitting down and you're, gonna, you know, create, let's just go back to that headline, you know, a headline copy test. Mm -hmm. You want to ask a question like, um, you know, will a, uh, will a direct, um, a direct descriptive headline work better than a fluffy marketing heavy headline? You know, maybe that's your question. And then you create, you know, you create one version that has one and one that one that has, you know, the other. And you run them against each other. And one of them is going to work better no matter what. I mean, in, in, in very few cases, you're going to have kind of a flat line test. And if you do, if you have no result, so you run, you know, two or three different versions against each other, you have no result, then you've also learned something about your audience. You learned that they didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so if that happens, that's also, um, it, that can also be a win because then you get to pick. If your audience doesn't care what your headline is, then you get to pick the one that you like the best. Um, and so that's, I think, the, the first critical piece is having a business question. And then the second piece is once you get your test result back, figuring out what did that teach us. So, you know, I got an answer to my question. I learned that, uh, you know, this fluffy marketing heavy headline worked a lot better. What does that tell me about my audience and where do I go from here? So, you know, what, what can we do to further hone in on and refine that experience for the user um, based on what we learned about them? And so I think that's one of the big things I, that I, I see constantly is when people start getting lost in A-B testing, mm -hmm. they don't know what to do. It's usually because they weren't asking a bunch of questions and all of the tests that they've been running have just kind of been random ideas that pop into their head. Yeah. And I think, you know, as you're going through that, you don't think that they're random ideas, but... Often you want to go with, okay, this is a good headline, that's a good headline, without taking that step back, asking the business question of, okay, what's the purpose of doing this headline? What's the outcome I want to get to? And how do I get the user to that outcome with this headline? So, yeah, no, that's spot on. I appreciate that. And, and you know, and, and to, to just dive in that a little bit more, um, you know, with, with split testing, there's a lot of things that, you know, the result, 
can tell you a lot of things other than just the answer to your business question. So for example, you know, you, you may find that if, if we're talking about like a landing page, for example, and you're, you're testing some colors, right? So mm-hmm. you're testing, oh, I want to test a green call to action versus a red call to action versus a blue call to action. And let's say, you know, that your red call to action generates a huge, uh, you know, a huge increase over your other colors. Well, you've, you've learned, okay, you've learned what color works best for that call to action, but you also may have learned that color in general really matters for your audience. You may have also learned that, you know, that that particular call to action really resonates with people when it is in that particular color. And so, you know, what, what I try to help people do is sit down and learn as much from tests as possible because more often than not, people, you know, are, are busy, they're on the go. You want to find a winner and just kind of move on to your next test as quickly as possible. But I like to ask, you know, kind of like I mentioned before, what did this, what, you know, what else did we learn about our audience? And is there something else I should be testing? You know, so we tested call to action. Color really mattered. Okay. So maybe, you know, our next test on our call to action should be, you know, what it actually says, maybe where it is. But should there be some other things that we test as well? Like, you know, if that color really made a difference, are there other colors that we should be testing on our site? Are there other types of tests that we should be running based on what we learned about our audience? And so that, I think, is the really critical part is, is just, again, really sitting down and saying, what did we learn about people here? And based on that, what, like, you know, the possibilities are almost endless with, with kind of where you can take things from each test. And so with, with a really good testing strategy where you're asking really good critical questions about your audience, you should never have a problem where you're sitting down and going, oh, I don't know what to test, you know, where you kind of run out of ideas to test. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I think that is a challenge with, with a lot of people is they're, um, they're kind of not sure where to start. And I think that's the, the right. big thing. And, and by asking a, an effective business question, like you worded it, I think that's a like a really good starting place for most people. Because, you know, be quite honest, I I rarely think about it like that. Most of the time it's, okay, well, this is the audience that I'm already talking to that I've already built. And I kind of know just through, I'm sure, a lot of trial and error what they respond to, but I'm sure I could optimize that audience better by taking that step back, asking those really difficult questions about, okay, what is this audience really like? Why did they come here in the first place? And that, you know, and, and going and asking more questions as I get results. No, it's, it's really good advice. Well, and Vernon, you bring up one, one point that I want to just hone in on for one second. Um, and, and this is, I think a very common thing that a lot of, uh, whether it's a business owner or, you know, a marketer, or, you know, whoever it may be, a lot of people fall into this trap and it is that it is thinking that, you know, your audience already. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's, there's a lot of aspects that go into who your audience is. And I think a lot of people, once they've sat down and figured out the demographic of who they're talking to. So, you know, who these people are, what they do, where they live, they think that they've got it figured out. It's like, oh, well, that's my audience. Okay, well, I, I know that's my audience. And maybe, like you mentioned, maybe you've been already communicating with them a lot. You've found some kind of messaging that resonates. And so it's really easy to kind of fall into this trap of going, okay, well, I've, I've found something that works. I've got a niche. Uh, you know, people, people like the stuff that I'm doing. I'm, I'm pretty solid. Um, and the truth of the matter is that you, you may have, you, you know, you may have a, a good idea, 
of who these people are. And there's always changes that are happening with whatever, whoever your audience is. There's constantly, you know, technological changes, things on the internet. I mean, the web is just a constantly evolving place. Um, you know, mobile, for example, you know, if your audience is primarily mobile, the mobile web is, I mean, it, it is a rapidly changing uh, marketplace. And what worked like six months ago with your audience probably isn't working with your audience anymore, even though you don't know it. Um, and so that, one thing that I find a lot is if you can kind of step outside of your assumptions and kind of, kind of throw away a lot of your assumptions that you think you know who your audience is and look at your business, look at your article, look at your ads with a fresh set of eyes and say, okay, what are the potential issues here? You know, I think I know what, what my audience might be responding well to, but are there things that might potentially be distracting for them or might be causing anxiety for them? Things that might not be as clear as they could be, you know, uh, those types of questions, if you can take a step outside of yourself and ask those types of questions, those can also lead to a lot of really great test opportunities. No, that's really good advice. Yeah. I don't think that people think about that as much. And as I was saying, oh, yeah, I think I kind of know my audience. I'm like, hmm, maybe I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Which that's, that's a good way to think. That's 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 amazing. So, you know, when you, of course, you're talking about A-B split testing and knowing your audience. Oftentimes, you know, I'll talk to a, a fellow author or another podcaster. And I think one of the biggest challenges that we run into is traffic. You know, how do you drive traffic to a new podcast or a, a fairly established podcast? They get a few hundred or a few thousand downloads a month, but nothing to really write home about. And they don't know how to drive traffic to that site. What kind of advice would you give for, you know, where do you begin as far as starting to drive traffic? Yeah, and there's a, and that's a great question because there is you could get you can get lost in all the different ways you can drive traffic. Right. I mean. If you, I mean, I, I got my start in digital marketing doing search engine optimization, SEO. And I mean, SEO is kind of like the black hole of marketing because you can just spend your entire life doing SEO and, and you may never even see results. <laughs> yeah. and, and sometimes it's even worse if you do see results because then it's kind of like that elusive, you know, stallion that's just kind of on the horizon always. And you're just trying to get more and more. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of ways that you can get traffic. The ones that I've found to be the most effective for driving, you know, if you're, for example, like you said, if you're starting up like a podcast or you're starting a blog, you know, you want, you, you have content that you know is relevant to people and you want to grow that audience. Uh, the places that I found to be the most effective are number one, um, doing social ads. Um, and then number two, getting in front of that audience with relevant content. So, you know, if you're starting a podcast, you should probably go on some other people's podcasts that have similar audiences and tell them about what you do. Um, that's, I think one of the best places to get people is, okay, they're already in the medium that you have. So, you know, or if, or if you have a blog, go and do some guest posts for some, you know, someone else that has a blog with, you know, that what you think is a similar audience to yours. Um, so going, just taking kind of a step back to the, the Facebook or, or the social ads, um, usually the best place to get started with social ads is going to be Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, Twitter is a lot cheaper. You can, you know, 
it has it has a lot of appeal to people because you can get clicks so much cheaper on Twitter. Um, what I found is that it's typically just not as good of quality traffic. And if you think about the use case, when somebody's on Twitter and when they click on an ad, people are typically in you know quick consumption mode on Twitter. There's wanting you know quick, quick, quick. You know, give me some, give me an update, give me an update. Whereas Facebook is a little bit more content heavy, just, you know, Twitter with its, with its content restrictions is just by, by, you know, by its nature going to attract people that are looking, you know, that are in this mental state where they're looking for quick, quick information. Whereas Facebook, you know, it's a little bit more content heavy. There's, you know, much, much fewer restrictions on the type of content that you can post and the amount of content you can post. And so you typically attract a much better quality uh, person from, from Facebook. And so on Facebook, what I would typically suggest is, um, you know, very similar to what I, what I mentioned at the beginning, find an audience that you think is similar to your demographic. So if you have a podcast about, if it's a fashion podcast, go and find other fashion podcasters and target their audiences. And then create lookalike audiences that are based on that audience. So lookalike audience is just going to basically say, okay, anybody that has a very, you know, that, that's in a very similar demographic with similar interests, let's target them as well. And then, as we mentioned, you know, at the very beginning, then create a couple of different ways of marketing that and start testing. Um, yeah. Because you know, again, a lot of people. Will and and I fell I fell into this camp when I first started doing advertising. It's like okay, well let's just all right, let's try to cover all of our bases. Let's create a couple of Facebook ads. We'll create a couple Twitter ads. Let's do some LinkedIn. We'll do Instagram, and you know we'll we'll hit everything. <laughs> and I spread myself so thin that I wasn't able to really hone in and and create an effective strategy for any of it because I was doing all of it. Oh yeah. And so. Oh yeah. So I would totally just try to dive into one platform. So, you know, in my suggestions, Facebook, try to dive into Facebook and create as, you know, as elaborate of a testing strategy as you can. So, you know, if you're, if you're putting images on your ads, test different images, test different headline copy, test different call to actions, test, I mean, test everything that you can so that you can learn quickly and stop wasting your money on stuff that's not working. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure you've you've had, and I know I've had clients because I do digital marketing as well. Was like, well, I want to just put like ten dollars across all my networks, and I'm like, <laughs> whoa, no, it's not going to really help you. Oh no, just look, let's put ten dollars on Facebook and ten on Twitter, and ten, I'm, like, what? <laughs> I'm like, you're not at the casino because that's exactly what you're doing. You're not going to be yes. able to find anything out for ten bucks. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Yep. I hear that all the time. And, you know, and like I mentioned, I mean, it's, it's much better to take that same budget. If it's, you know, whatever it is, a $60 budget and you want to spread it out, take that $60 budget and focus it on one platform because the, the real magic on any kind of advertising platform, the real magic happens when you get a significant amount of data and you learn what kinds of things work and what don't work. The problem is when you when you have a very limited budget um, and you're trying to spread it thin across a ton of platforms, you're not going to get meaningful data from any of them. And so you're not going to be able to, you know, you run those, those split tests and it's like, oh, we got three clicks on one and two clicks on the other. So I think the one with three did better. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> all right, you know, and so... Um, 
yeah, I mean, if, if you can just really uh, rein yourself in and focus on one platform, and once you figure that platform out, the great thing is a lot of times those, those learnings will spread to some of those other platforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, you, you got you to gotta stay focused and, and, and uh, really get, drive some meaningful learnings through one platform. So do you think that basically social traffic is pretty much paid at this point? Um, well, I mean, it just, I, I think that's the best way to get started initially. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, driving organic traffic, I spent years doing, uh, you know, testing out different tactics to drive organic social traffic. And it's kind of like uh, an SEO strategy at this point. I mean, growing an organic following on your page and then being able to, uh, you know, being able to just post without paying for it, um, you know, it's kind of like that elusive shiny object that people want to chase after. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm of the opinion that you're much better uh, suited, at least when you're first getting started, to just do paid traffic. Right. No, that makes perfect sense. Um, you know, with that, I always get the question, well, if I'm paying for traffic, what's the point of me doing SEO? And, oh, by the way, I heard SEO was dead anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's like, well, uh, how, how, how does someone get started without having to dive, you know, like you said, into the black hole of SEO? What are like two things they can do to optimize uh, maybe a blog post? Instead of thinking about the whole website, maybe just a blog post, what, what are like two of the key things you need in a post to make sure that it at least has some type of SEO value? Yeah, that's a great question. And so, th- and this is, I- I'm actually going to go back to A-B testing for this because um, SEO is progressively looking more, I mean, like search engines like Google and, you know, and being they're, they're progressively looking more and more at on-site metrics. So they're looking at things like, okay, if you've got a blog post, are people staying on that blog post? Are they actually consuming that content? Or are they coming to it, and as soon as they see that it's not whatever you said it was, then they're leaving? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a danger sign. That's a warning sign. So Google doesn't like to rank those types of posts. And so if you're trying to get, like, a blog post or something to rank, you want to you wanna run some tests on your website on, on that particular blog post to increase those on-site metrics. So you want to look at, you know, time on post. Uh, one really helpful thing that I've, that I've found with blog posts is putting heat mapping on your blog post. Mm-hmm. So you can use free tools like, uh, like Hotjar, for example. That's one where you can just install, uh, install like a single line of JavaScript on your blog. And then you can pull in that specific blog post you want to track. And it'll show you how far down the article people are scrolling, uh, if it's different on desktop and mobile devices, which it almost always is. Um, and then it will show you, like, if, if they're clicking on stuff on your article, it'll show you what they're clicking on. Um, and that can be really helpful for you to start gathering some data and say, okay, well, what are people doing on my article? Where are they bailing out? Like, if they're bailing out at a certain point of my article, maybe I need to beef that that particular section up. Um, if people are coming to my article and bouncing, that's usually a good sign that either, number one, my ad copy was misleading, or number two, my headline's misleading, and when people actually start getting into the content, they're not, they're not getting what they expected, and so they're leaving. Yeah. And so, you know, if people are bouncing off, of, off your article, I would suggest changing up your ad copy and 
switching out your headline. Um, and so, yeah, so once you, once you kind of start gathering some of that data, then it can be really helpful to start running some of these A-B tests. So I actually had a test that I ran for a, uh, for a nonprofit organization um, that would, uh, it was for, the organization was one that went and rescued children uh, that were abducted for sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, really, really serious, yeah. emotionally compelling content. And so every time they would go on one of these rescue missions, they'd come back, they'd write a big blog post about it. And, you know, these blog posts were critical in, number one, building awareness and building their audience. And number two, uh, getting donations and getting people to subscribe so that they would get the updates. You know, they had a lot of different, um, I would call them success events, or they had lots of different goals of of their blog posts. You know, so they want to create awareness get people to subscribe, and get people to donate. And so what we did is we created an A-B test. It was actually a, an A-B-C test, so we had a couple different variations. And we took one of their blog posts and had them write it up like they normally would, which was like a 2,000-word article, 2,000-plus-word article. Uh, and we just tested different lengths. So we said, okay, you know, based on some of these metrics, people are only spending like a minute and a half on this article. And there's no way you can read a 2,000-word article in a minute and a half. So people are not reading the entire article. Um, So what can we do? Well, let's test some different lengths. Let's see if maybe if it's shorter, people stay on it longer, people will be more likely to engage, that kind of stuff. And so we created a couple of versions. We took that 2,000-word article and we trimmed it down to like 1,000 words. And that was in our version A. And then we took that version and we trimmed it down even more to like 500 words. And that was our version B. And then we ran all three of those versions. So when someone would come to that blog post, they'd get one of those three versions. Um, and it was really fascinating to see what we got back. So we, we put heat mapping on all these pages, and we tracked mobile and desktop separately. And the fascinating thing was, on mobile, the shorter, the better. So like the shorter the article, the better it performed on all metrics. Like, if it was shorter, they actually spent longer on the page, hmm. which that just blows your mind, doesn't yeah, it? That's, uh, that's that interesting, the, yeah. Yeah, you'd think that the long, longer the article, the longer they're going to stay on the post. But it was fascinating to see that. And what that told us is when you're on a mobile device and you see that an article is super long, you're like, there's no way I'm going to finish this. I mean, when you're on a mobile device, you're usually kind of on the go. You want some quick content. And when the article's shorter, it's like, oh, well, I've, I've got time to finish this. You know, and so uh, you're, you're a lot more likely to stay on that post. On desktop, it kind of depended. So d- depending on what the blog post was, sometimes the longest version was the winner, and sometimes the medium-length version was the winner. Um, but what this, really, what, what this really taught us was, okay, we need to take these audiences into consideration. People coming to our blog on a mobile device, they don't want our regular version. They don't want, you know, our super long article. And, you know, and yes, it's easier to just publish one version of your blog post, but what's the cost of doing that? And, you know, if the cost of doing that is you're losing readers, you're losing subscribers, in their case, they're losing out on donations. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, dang, it's definitely worth our time to sit down and create two different versions of each of our blog posts. And so that's, that's a test that is fairly easy to set up, you know, to create a couple of different versions of a blog post. 
And then you can use, you know, there's lots of different tools that you can use to test that blog post. Right. Um, we used for this nonprofit, we used a testing tool called Visual Website Optimizer, VWO, mm -hmm. that makes it super easy to just create a couple different versions of a blog post. But there's, there's lots of different ways to do it. And I think that is one of the most effective ways that you can do what I call, you know, quote unquote SEO for a blog post is optimizing that post for what the users actually want from your blog. Right. No, that's, that's a brilliant strategy. And I think, um, when I look at that, it, to me, that says, you know, this is, this is a, an overall strategy that you should be considering for not just blog posts, but for your website, for your social media and how you post there and where those people are going to be consuming that content. Because there are three, three aspects to what you said, basically, you're trying to create awareness. So that's, that's one of the main things. You're trying to get attention. You're trying to get people to notice what you're doing, either your mission, what, the content that you're putting out, the message that you're trying to deliver. Then you want them to subscribe to get more of whatever it is that you're doing. You want them to, oh, okay, this is interesting. I want to I look at this more. I want to listen to this more. And then you're trying to get them to convert, whether that's to make a donation, whether that's to buy your book, your ebook, your program, your coaching. It's those three aspects of pretty much everything that anyone's doing online. So, no, that's a, that's a brilliant strategy. Yeah, and, and you, you kind of nailed it on the head. You want to make sure that you are progressively moving people down your funnel. And your funnel might not be buying something, but your funnel might be, yeah, I want them to subscribe. And then once they've subscribed, I don't want them to unsubscribe. Or once they've subscribed, I want them coming back regularly. Yeah. And so, you know, that also involves running email campaigns to give them updates and testing that, you know, <laughs> what do they want to see in an email update? I mean, it's, it's kind of a, an endless process, which, you know, as you mentioned at the very beginning, that can seem daunting and it can be scary to look at that and go, oh man, this is, yeah, this is the black hole of testing. Right. <laughs> um, and as you do this, all of your efforts are going to become, you know, are, are going to le leverage the things that you've learned from each other. So, you know, as you learn things on Facebook, you can use that to optimize your blog posts. And as you optimize your blog posts, you can use that to optimize your email campaigns. And as you, as you continue to learn, um, all of your marketing efforts are going to become so much more effective than they ever were um, when you were just kind of focusing on each one individually. No, that's that's uh, some really good advice. Yeah, that's really detailed, and I think that um, I'm glad you mentioned not not for profits because I, I get the most questions for how do we do this for our not for profit without spending a lot of money? Question. <laughs> I'm sure you yep. get that all the time. Oh yeah. So no, I'm glad that you gave a good example because that's that's one of those things that people don't think about now, or at least a lot that I've run into is a different experience depending on the device that people are experiencing your brand with it could be mobile it could be you know desktop or laptop or whatever but it's more likely going to be mobile because mobile is pretty much changing the way everything's done exactly so before we start to wrap it up i want to know what how much weight do you give to instagram because right now you know people like gary vaynerchuk and and others are really really pushing instagram and using that platform to drive traffic to wherever you want it to go. 
what's a what's one like effective way that you you think people could use Instagram to help do what they were trying to do as far as SEO and testing this concern? Yeah, that's a great a great question. Um, and in response to the first half of your question, um, in terms of like how much weight I give to Instagram, I usually put that kind of down the list in priorities, because again, you know, Instagram. Um, attracts a certain type of person in a certain type of mindset. And you may have overlap. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a very likely case that all of your audience is both on Facebook and on Instagram. And so with Instagram, Instagram tends to work really well for specific types of businesses. Um, you know, namely businesses that have a very visual aspect to what they do. So, you know, like obviously makeup companies or any kind of like fashion type of stuff that does really well on Instagram, any kind of food companies or lifestyle type companies, those tend to do really well on Instagram. Um, what, what I found is that, you know, there's probably 75% of businesses that are just spinning their wheels, trying to get, make stuff work on Instagram. That's probably never going to work for them, mm-hmm. um, which it's very similar uh, it's just a very different demographic to doing ads on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn has an ads platform, which a lot of people don't know about. Yeah. And the ads platform can be extremely successful for a very small amount of companies. So there are some companies um, like Domo or like uh, companies that do um, hiring, obviously, or those types of things that, that find a tremendous amount of success on LinkedIn. And then there's a lot of other companies that are just spinning their wheels. They're spending money. They're you're wasting money, wasting a lot of time advertising on these platforms. So the first thing that, you know, that I would just say is Instagram works well for some audiences. And so if, if your audience, uh, is, you know, is largely on Instagram, you have a very visual aspect. People are, you know, you, you believe people are going to respond really well on Instagram. It may be worth trying. Um, and, the, and the second, this, the caveat that I would put with that is, to remember that Instagram is different than Facebook, right? I mean, when people are on Instagram, people are much, uh, much more in a very kind of like a visual uh, experience. And so, um, and so people tend to just be in a different mindset. And right. so that's, you know, again, if, if you, as long as you're taking those things into consideration and you're testing different things on Instagram than you would on Facebook, um, then, you know, there, there's a chance you may be able to find success. Now, uh, what I would say is the most important thing to test on Instagram is your images. Um, the types of images that people are going to engage with, um, is a, is a really critical thing, uh, to test. And so I actually, I, I put together an Instagram testing strategy and this can also get kind of complex because, you can't just find like one kind of thing that works on Instagram and right. just do it all the time. Right. Or yeah, just that, like, yeah, that doesn't work. right. Yeah. I mean, if you're like, whether, whether you're posting and trying to get organic, uh, you know, organic engagement or whether you're doing ads, uh, it's not, it's usually not like a one size fits all type of approach. And so, um, and so you want to look very carefully at things like day of the week, you know, people are going to behave very differently on different days of the week. And they're going to behave very differently on the weekends. Uh, and so when you're, when you're testing out different ads or different organic content, you want to make sure that you test on different days of the week because it, it really, really varies. And so, I, I mean, I guess the things that I would really take into consideration are, number one, 
testing that image content, trying different types, like radically different types of images. And then second, taking into account and taking into consideration uh, day of the week variables in there. So if you can do those, you can at least figure out whether or not it's worth doing Instagram. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. you know, I would say just give yourself a certain time frame. Maybe it's like three months and you say, I'm going to give this three months. And if by the end of three months, it is not working. I will walk away from Instagram as hard as that may be. <laughs> All right. I think, I think getting someone to spend three months trying to, uh, figure out a platform and whether or not it's going to work for them is going to be hard enough. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yep. It's like, what? It didn't work in a week. Oh, this sucks. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've heard, oh, well, LinkedIn advertising doesn't work. It doesn't work at all because we tried it in and we didn't get anything out of it. So it must not work. <laughs> I'm yep. like, well, yep. you have a restaurant and you're <laughs> trying to advertise on LinkedIn. That's probably not the best place for you. Exactly. Exactly. That is hilarious. Well, I know you put together an ebook uh, that goes over a lot of these types of strategies, right? I have, and it's actually, it's, it's uh, kind of a beginner's guide. And so it talks through um, a lot of the tools that you can use for testing. It talks about, uh, you know, some of the first few things that you might take into consideration when you're uh, looking at your own site and, you know, or your own ads and trying to figure out what to test. Um, and so if people, if people want to download the guide, it is free and they, all they need to do is go to disruptiveadvertising.com slash guide. Uh, and there's a free download there and, and uh, should give them everything they need to get started. Awesome. I'm going to link to that, guys, in the show notes. This has been Chris Daly. He has uh, provided us with a wealth of information. I've got like two pages of notes that I've got to try to get into uh, some show notes. And I, I may actually try some different links on these show notes this time to see what works best with you guys. Pass the links. I love it. All right, all right. You can find Chris Daly on Twitter over uh, on Twitter at Chris Daly. That's D-A-Y-L-E-Y. And, of course, you can find him over at Disruptive Advertising, where he is the VP of Site Testing and Optimization. So, guys, definitely he knows what he is talking about. So, Chris, I also heard that you're going to be um, speaking at a couple of big events coming up here soon. I am, yeah. So I'm going to be speaking at, at HeroConf in uh, Los Angeles um, here just in, in March. And then at the end of March, I'll be speaking. I, I'm doing a workshop at Social Media Marketing World in San Diego. Um, that's, I think, March 22nd through 24th. And uh, so if anybody wants to come and get, you know, a little bit more hands-on um, instruction, I will, like I mentioned, I'll be doing that workshop um, in San Diego. So I would love to see any of, any of your audience there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Michael Stelzner puts on an amazing event with Social Media Marketing World. It is, uh, I think, probably outside of South by Southwest, one of the biggest social media and marketing conferences going today and so hey guys he's putting on a workshop there again like i said you definitely if you're in the san diego area and you're attending social media marketing world which i know a lot of you guys are definitely check it out and hero conference in los angeles i haven't been to that one yet but i heard it is really good so <laughs> chris i appreciate you uh helping me get some stuff sorted out and i'm definitely going to be in touch with you guys thank you for having me on the show Vern. it was my pleasure uh, thanks a lot for coming man i appreciate it no problem.